you've got your Bibles, why don't you grab them out? We're going to turn to 1 John chapter 4, and I'm just going to pray for us. Father, just thank you. We come before you with thankful hearts. Thank you for this day, for this unique moment in human history. Thank you for your purpose and your plan that you are outworking, unfolding in our lives personally, in our midst, in the midst of our nation, even in the midst of the world. And regardless, Lord, of whatever our eyes and our human perception might tell us, I thank you that you are in control, that all of human history and all of our lives are heading towards your ultimate plan and purpose. And so, Father, in whatever way this moment is a part of your plan for us, we just pray that you give us listening ears to hear what your Spirit is saying. Father, help me not to speak my words because we all know that's not what we need. But Lord, would you speak through your word? Would you move in our hearts? Would you move in our midst? Would you open up our eyes to see and behold the glory of who you are? Take us deeper. Take us deeper. We love you, Jesus. And we gather in your name simply to honor you and to draw close, to incline our ears to hear your voice. Still the distractions, I pray, and speak to us this morning. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First John chapter 4 is where we're headed if you came in late. We're going to read a passage of Scripture together. And if you remember, we've been studying through this book and we finished a section at the end of 3. John has outlined truth. He's talked about what truth is, the reality of truth, and effectively finished chapter 3 by saying, our response, therefore, is to anchor. Whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. That our response is simply to anchor into the reality of who he is and his truth. And that leads us to chapter 4, verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. That's a key word there. We'll come back to that. To see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. How's that for an interesting passage? Intriguing. So here's the theme. Here's the main thought. That we are to be a people who test. Who likes tests? Who likes testing? Anybody hate tests? I used to hate tests. My wife was wonderful at tests. She just has one of those memories. I always needed practical examinations. But we are called to test. What are we testing? It says, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. And just in case, to avoid any confusion, we're not specifically talking about dealing with the demonic 
here per se. We're not looking for demons. What we're talking about is the spirit behind what you hear. He finishes off by talking about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And as always, John is black and white. He's crystal clear. He's effectively saying this. You see, we live in an information age. In fact, I was reading recently that the amount of information, this just blows my mind, it doubles every two years or so. Just the amount of information. We're surrounded by information, and we tend to think of information as neutral. It's neither good nor bad. Whereas John is calling us to take a deeper look. And he's very crystal clear. He's saying everything you hear has one of two spirits behind it, either the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. There's no middle ground. There's no shades of gray. And this is just worth us thinking through. You see, often I think we talk about spiritual stuff and demons, and we we think, well, the, the work of the demonic is maybe a satanic seance. It's something demonstrable, some, some hugely demonic thing. And certainly that would fit the bill. But here he's talking about a far more subtle spiritual influence that would lead us away from truth and into deception. Everything we hear has a spirit behind us. And if indeed, as John writes here, and he's written earlier, we've talked about this already, that we will find ourselves, certainly his readers found themselves in this place. But if we are to find ourselves in times of deception, and remember he's painting a scene where things aren't going to get better. It's not like, well, you will, you'll get through this, you'll get over this. There'll be a little bit of deception, but really you're moving onwards and upwards. He says the exact opposite. He keeps talking about the spirit of Antichrist, which then obviously leads to the full manifestation of the Antichrist. And don't worry, we're not going down that path this morning. But he's saying, as we approach the end of the age, there will be times of greater deception. And if indeed that is the case, we don't need to be fearful. We'll talk about that. But we do need to be prepared and we need to be discerning. So how do we test? Three simple realities that John gives us. How can we be a people who apply this? Number one, they're all very simple. Number one, we have to think. We have to think. We have to use our heads. He says it very clear in 4 verse 1, Do not believe every spirit, for there are many false prophets. He's saying there will be a lot of false teaching that you'll hear. There will be a lot of deception. So make sure you Make sure you think. Don't just believe everything you hear. See, the problem with this world that's so full of information is that often we think superficially. We consume copious amounts of information. When asked for a show of hands on Facebook, on Twitter, news feeds, I need to turn off my phone because it keeps sending me these alerts. I don't even want to know half the information that it sends me about a news alert for this and that. There's all this information, but if you're anything like me, usually we just skim over the surface. See, we've lost, I believe, in this information overloaded age, the capacity and sometimes even the desire. I don't have time to think about everything that I read. A casual glance, a look at the headlines. How many of you are like me and you look at the news, but all you really do is you look through the headlines? Maybe there's one there that you might click in and read in more detail. Anyone else? 
just me, is it? It's this superficial age. We don't have time. We don't have the desire. It's easier just to live at this superficial level without ever actually weighing anything. And to test literally means to weigh it up, to put it on trial, to examine it, to look through all the aspects and the details. It was an interesting study. It was done by the journal Science, and it was published earlier this year. And they did one of the, the largest and most long-term investigation of fake news, which is a thing because it's now officially in the dictionary as of last year. Fake news is a thing. And so they did this study looking at the spread of particularly news articles throughout online media, examining 126,000 what they call rumour cascades. So what is it that people are sharing? And their definition of something that had been shared or had gone viral was that it had been spread by three million, at least 3 million people more than 4.5 million times. So it was a detailed study looking at all the different information that was shared on social media platforms. And they found this, that fake news or news that was not true or at least in essence more false than it was true was at least five times more likely to be shared than that which was true and it spread six times as quickly around the world. Often it had been spread through social media, online devices throughout the entire world before anybody had actually stopped to sit back and question whether it was true. So their studies talk about the fact that truth has become a rare commodity. Why is it? Why are we far more likely to spread and to spread quickly that which is false rather that which is true? Thinking seems to have packed up and left the building. Why? Why don't we think? Too lazy? There's, there's a lot of potential answers, but here's one that I think is worth us pondering. And it's worth us pondering because... I think it's not only for our own benefit, but if we're to engage society, we've got to recognize where society is at and where society is coming from. And I've recently been reading a book this past week. Here it is here. I don't often give a book a plug, but this is a great book. It's by a guy called Abdu Murray. It's called Saving Truth, Finding Meaning and Clarity in a Post-Truth World. So if you're interested... You can grab a hold of that. It's from Kurong. But he, he makes this analysis. He says, we live in what he terms a post-truth world. And this is his definition of post-truth. So we've moved from post-modernism to post-truth. Post-modernism had relative truth, no absolute truth. Truth is whatever you apply it to be. But truth still exists. The post-truth world that he talks about is this where feelings are elevated above thinking. A society that rather than thinking through things, we don't want to think about things. Instead, we want to feel. If it feels right, that's more important than what is right. And often in cases where actually truth says that something is right, but the feelings are elevated above what truth says. That's his definition. Here's a quote. I just thought I'd throw in one of his quotes. He says, interestingly, Western culture embraces confusion as a virtue, decries certainty as a sin. Those who are confused about identity are viewed as heroes. Those who are confused about morality are progressive pioneers. Those confused about spirituality are praised as tolerant. Those who express certainty about any issues are seen as bigoted, oppressive, arrogant, and intolerant. 
we've defined freedom as the ability to do, feel, and say whatever we want. Freedom no longer has any bounds, not even reality. Through unfettered autonomy, we declare ourselves to be gods, accountable to no one, using our divinity to declare ourselves less than human. I think that's, that's an insightful comment in the, about the society in which we find ourselves. If it feels right, that's more important than what is right. kind of sounds like what the Bible describes in Judges 17, where it says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. If that feels okay, so don't worry about the truth. Don't worry about the truth of Scripture, what God has outlined and laid out for us. If it feels right, do it. And see, here is the problem, if indeed this is the case, and then we'll look at what the solution is. You see, feelings are not bad. Let's just clarify that. Feelings are good. Feelings are God-given. We are created and designed for to feel things. Feelings show us things about ourselves and about others. The problem is that feelings are never a good foundation for reality. This past week or the week before last, during school holidays, we had this horrible viral infection that all of our kids got in different forms. But three of our four children had these chronic middle ear infections. And if you remember having those as kids, they're just horrendously painful. And never before have we had an ear infection so bad where eardrums burst. But in each case, for three of our four kids, they came down with it in the evening and then by the next morning, there was already pus and goo and all sorts of good stuff pouring out of eardrums. In one instance, we had a child where both eardrums burst through the night. It was just a horrible bug. In the midst of that, obviously, some people are better patients than others, and we do have some dramatic girls at times. There's one girl in particular, and look, she was in pain. Ear infections are painful. But... She had decided that she was in so much pain that this was clearly the end of the road. Life is over, Daddy. I cannot cope. We put her in the car to take her to the doctor. And I'm pretty sure that she made her feelings known to the entire neighborhood. Everybody within earshot was well aware of the pain that she was experiencing and that life, as she knew it, had ceased to exist. Every bump, every turn of the car. Now, there's no doubt that there was strong feelings. We were very aware of the strong feelings that she was having. But fortunately, feelings are not always a reality. What do you need in the mix, in the midst of what we're feeling to anchor us? We need truth. See, it's truth that can come in. If we'd made her feelings our reality, well, that would have been it. Pull up stumps, organize the funeral service, let's move on. It's all over. But we need truth to ground us. It's truth that brings us the certainty. And it's this tragic situation, I believe, in society where we believe that somehow freedom comes from this ability to feel. Whereas true freedom, true love, true joy is ultimately only ever going to be found within the boundaries of truth. So it's no different than if we all decided after this service, we said, you know what? We have traffic rules, but we've just decided that we'll drive however we feel on the way home. Someone says, well, I just feel like going really fast. Someone says, you know what, I feel like I might just drive on the other side of the road. And then someone else says, you know what, I'm going to drive backwards. 
on the wrong side of the road. And let's see what happens. What will ensure as a result of our deliberate choice to feel our way into hopeful freedom rather than freedom, we will find chaos. True freedom, true joy, true love, as we've already talked about in this series through 1 John, is actually only ever found within the boundaries of truth. Really, if we think through for ourselves and in the midst of society, what we're all longing for is something true. We are. We're ultimately all longing for truth. We put it this way. So you don't want to go into your bank knowing that you have $500,000 to withdraw your life savings and have the teller say, well, I know that the truth says that there's $500,000 in there, but you know what? I feel like there's only five cents. So here's your change. Don't spend it all at once. We don't want to go and see a medical doctor who knows that we have some curable bad condition and say, well, all the facts indicate that you have this, but you know what? I just feel like you'll be fine. Have a lollipop and go away. See how it goes. Ultimately, we all want truth. And this is our great mission to be able to point people towards not just a truth, but the truth. And the truth, which is Jesus. And I know, I thought this might be helpful. If it's not, then that's fine. But I know we've been on a little bit of a, um, what's the word? A trip, a little bit of a journey talking about truth. Talking about the importance for truth. But this is not just something that I feel has been my own initiative this year. I, I genuinely believe two things. A, that there is deception that the enemy is specifically trying to use to distract us. But B, that the Lord is saying that there are some things that need to be addressed. And it came to me in a dream. I don't often share dreams, but let me share this dream. As I said, if it helps, great. If it doesn't, that's fine. But in this dream, we were there, our church. We were all in this uh, church service. We're worshipping Lord. It was a great worship time like this morning. It wasn't this building. By the way, it was another building, which I'm praying, Lord, let it be. It's only a rental premises here. We've got to find a new building. And so we're in this worship service. It's a wonderful time of worship. And then I walk out the back door, the back door of the church, and all of a sudden, the service is still going on, but I'm on a train platform. And I just know, as you do in a dream, that this is a time that I, I need to look for when the train's coming. It's a season of transition. I feel not only for our church, but for the churches in general, that this is a crucial time in what the Lord is trying to do. So I'm there, I'm on the platform, I'm like, okay, we've got to know, what, Lord, what is the next step? What, where are we going? Where are we headed? What train are we on? What's happening? What are you saying? There's no one else around this train station until all of a sudden, in the midst of looking around, I look into the corner, the far corner of the platform, there's this young girl. I thought, that's odd. There was nobody around. So I look at her and I could see she's bawling her eyes out. She's emotional. She's upset. And so I thought instantly, I'm like, well, forget the train. I've got to go and see if she's okay. And so I turned to go and see this girl. And instantly the Lord spoke to me and said, no, don't go. And I stopped and I went, but God, she's upset. This, this is what's right. This, I've, got, I've got to go and see. No, no, that can't be the Lord. I'll deny that. I'll go and see if she's okay. So I took another few steps. And a second time, the Lord said, no, stop. And I thought, I, I don't understand this. Fortunately, in the dream, 
May this always be the case. I had the grace to obey the Lord, and so I turned around, went back to, to begin again looking for direction. And as I turned my back, all of a sudden, from that corner of the platform, I heard this ferocious demonic noise. And I turned around, and I don't know whether it was the girl who'd morphed into something or some spirit behind the girl, but there was this demonic thing coming against me. And in the dream, I love this when this happens in dreams, I wasn't afraid at all. I just looked at it. I didn't even say anything. Just, just bang. And then it was dealt with. It was gone. And I woke up in a heavy sweat thinking, what on earth did I eat last night? Where did that come from? But straight away as I woke up, I said, Lord, what was that? He reminded me of Matthew 16, 23, which is where Jesus says to his disciples, he says, this is the mission. I'm going to the cross and I'm going to die. And then Peter rebukes him. He says, you are not going to do that. And in response to Peter's rebuke, it says that Jesus looked him in the eyes and he said this, and I've always thought such a harsh thing to say. He looks Peter in the eyes and he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are mindful only for the things of, my, of, of man and not the things of God. I feel a bit for Peter in that scenario because he was only doing what he felt was right. He felt like, well, well no, Jesus, that's not right. That's not the mission. It's not right that you go, like he was genuinely, he wasn't trying to do anything wrong. He was genuinely trying to do what he felt was the right thing. And Jesus doesn't, you know, lay a hand around him and say, look, Pete, let me explain again. You know, let's sit down. Let's have a cup of coffee. Let me just talk you through this again. He just looks at that thing and he rebukes it. So two takeaway points, all that to say this. Sometimes the deception of the enemy not only comes in an innocent form, but it comes in that which we feel is right. But it's in opposition to what God says. We feel that it's, this is right. I've got to go. I feel this. And you see, I've seen whole segments of the church publicly say, well, we believe this truth for a while. We believe that the Bible says this, but you know, we feel something different now. We just feel a compassion for this sin or for that issue or for that error. We just feel that something is, is different. And we are deceptively being drawn in to that which we feel is right rather than that which is right. This is what we've got to watch. The second thing that came in the dream to me, which is why I felt so strongly that we were as a church to really visit this, and I know we've been visiting it on more than one occasion, was that my response in the dream was... Certainly not to entertain it. I turned away, but then I ignored it. I'm like, well, forget about that. I'm just going to go on and, and, and seek what I need to seek in the dream. I turned my back and I'd ignored it. But I specifically felt in the dream, the Lord spoke to me and said, it's a season not to entertain, but it's also a season not to ignore. That we need to be ready to address these issues with all love, with all compassion, with all mercy, with all kindness, but it is a time for the church to rise up with the truth that is Jesus, the only truth, and say, no, we're not buying into this deception. There is truth. His name is Jesus. And while we have breath, we will do whatever we can to point people towards the truth. So number one is that we're to examine things, we're to weigh things up. And I've sort of already made point number two, but here it is again. Let's look on. Do not believe every spirit. Test to see whether they're from God. What is the test? What is the lens? What is the essence? 
uh, verse 2 of chapter 4, By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses Jesus has come in the flesh. Every spirit does not confess Jesus is not from God. See, it couldn't be any simpler. This is the lens. This is the center. This is the essence. This is what it boils down to. Really simple. It boils down to Jesus. Every other worldview, every other religion, every other philosophy, every other perspective, it comes down to this. What do you do with Jesus? You see, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Lamb that was slain, the blood shed to wash away our sins, the one who was buried, rose again, but defeated death. He conquered the grave. He's loosed the chains of sin. He's the bridegroom, the lover of our souls. He's the soon returning king who will come to establish his kingdom upon the earth. Is that your picture of Jesus? If not, then you are erring into deception. He's not something. He is everything. See, sometimes this is so subtle. Jesus again, and I love the disciples because I always see myself in them and in their doubts and in their fears. But in John 14, 6, Jesus proclaims, he says, I am the truth. See, he doesn't say, I have the truth. I know the truth. He says, I am the truth. The truth is not just a principle. It's a person. And Philip, and this probably would have been me, he says, all right, God, well, a couple of verses later, Verse 8 of John 14, he says, Philip says to Jesus, well, just, just show us God and then that will be enough. Just, just show us, show us the Father. That'll be enough for me. See, so often we see Jesus as the means to something. He's the means to the end. And Jesus rebukes Philip. Philip, have I been, you with, all, been with you all this time and you still do not know? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You see, he's saying, I am not a means to the end. I am the end. If you've seen me, you've got the full picture. It's not like you need to see me to get in the door. And there's so many philosophies. And I'll talk why in a moment. But we don't just preach about all the problems in the world. Otherwise, we'd need far more sermon series than we have. We preach Jesus. He's not the means to the end. He is the end. And anything that removes or diminishes or distorts the person and the power of Jesus is ultimately founded in deception at some level. He goes on to talk about the spirit of Antichrist. You see, that is the spirit of Antichrist. It somehow distorts, it, it supplants, it removes, it diminishes the power and the work of Christ. Somehow Jesus is, well, he's just a good man or he's there, but he's there for a purpose. He's there to take us into this so that we can do something or that, that you know, we can now operate in, in heavenly places or we can, we can get somewhere. And Jesus is like, no, well, that is the path of deception. Never lose sight of Jesus. It all comes back to him. And you see, we've got to be careful. John 5.39, in any area of life, he says to a group of people who knew their scriptures back in front, he says, you search the scriptures, you know the Bible, but you've missed me. Here I am. We've got to be so careful that, like the Laodicean church, it says that they had wealth, they had programs, they had principles, they had strategies. And yet Jesus says, I'm standing on the outside, knocking on the door. We've got to be so careful that we don't get caught up pursuing signs and wonders and miracles. Not that any of these things are bad. 
but our pursuit is always Jesus. Anything without Jesus will always cause us to lose our way. Anything whilst he is central will ensure that we never lose our way. We were talking about in the prayer, the, the prayer meeting beforehand. Karen came in with a scripture again. I think she's been reading my sermon notes. It was all about Jesus saying, I'm the good shepherd. No one comes through the gate except by me. His words are truth. He's the good shepherd. Without a shepherd, we will never find our way. But with a shepherd, we can never lose our way. Because the responsibility for the sheep is the shepherd's. Once we've submitted our life to him, if we keep our eyes upon him, it's his responsibility to keep us and to preserve us. Comes back to this, where is Jesus? We've got to examine, we've got to test, we've got to not just feel, but we've got to consistently and continually ask, where is Jesus? Where is Jesus in this? Because if he's not front and center, if he's diminished, if he's distorted, then we are buying into some form of... Of deception. So we've got to think, we've got to always keep our eyes on Jesus. And number three, very quickly, and I love this part of the passage. See, you could get to this point and be a little fearful. You get to this point and think, well, this, this is sounding pretty heavy. There's deception out there. We're going to be led astray. But he leaves us with this incredible encouragement. Little children, verse four, you are from God. And have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. See, here is the reality. Often what will stop us from testing, often often that which will draw us away from truth, draw us away from Jesus, is fear. There's a tide that's running in the opposite direction, and it feels so uncomfortable. And it's much easier just to go along with the tribe, to go along with my feelings. My feelings, they're so strong, they feel this. And so John is writing to say, here is the encouragement. The encouragement is that you have the very Spirit of God within you. And he's greater than any political force, any deception, any lie, any influence of society. His power is in us to know truth, to persevere through trials, and to stand firm. Whatever might be encamped against us. He is our shepherd. He will lead us. He will protect us. He will provide for us. And our confidence must be far more in his power than in the devils to deceive us. That's not my saying. If someone else says it's a good one, we'll use it. That's my confidence. It's in him. Greater is he who lives in me. Because the reality is we do live in a time and an era where there is great societal pressure. Christians, I mean, in this city, this has been the case for a while, but we are now the minority, not the majority. As a Christian, you're a rebel. Think about that. You don't need to go and get piercings and tattoos and visit questionable establishments. All you need to do is come to church. And you're a rebel. You're a rebel. You're standing against the tide of society. You're an outcast. You will on some level be hated and despised by many. If you haven't felt that already, it will come. But, see, the sooner we realize that that is the environment that that we're in, the sooner that we can recognize that he's with us and that it's our call to stand in the midst. 
Not to go along with the flow, but to shine the light in a darkened world. He's with us. This is not our home. This is not where our affections lie. Things are getting harder, but praise God. Because with all love and all tenderness and with all authority, we can stand in the midst and against the flow of whatever comes in his power, not ours, and simply say, no, we're not buying into this deception. And we're going to proclaim the truth whilst ever we have breath, whilst ever he allows us to live on this planet. We're doing everything we can to bring the truth to all who will listen. The one in whom true freedom and true joy and true love and true peace alone is found. So we're called to be a people who test. That simply means this. Don't just receive everything. When you're sitting on your computer and there's another report and you're about to hit send because you feel something so strongly, just pause. I'm going to examine this. And how do we examine it? Where's Jesus in this? Where is he? Where is Jesus? As we fix our eyes on him, as we remember who he is and that he is with us, then we have the courage to stand. And we need a people who will stand. That's what we need. We're not going to entertain, but we're also not going to ignore. It's not that season. We're not just going to feel, we're going to think, but we're not going to ignore. We're going to stand up for truth. And not just a truth that's principles, a truth that's a person. Jesus. That's what we're going to do. So let's pray. Can you stand? We're going to pray and then there'll be an opportunity for people to uh, come forward and receive prayer. There's a couple of things on my heart. You know, I, I just always love to give opportunity. We don't do it every week, but If there's anyone here this morning, first of all, and you don't know Jesus, your eyes have never been opened to see the truth of who he is, then it's my prayer that even now, if the Lord already hasn't been working on your heart, that he would open up your eyes, the eyes of your heart, to see the reality of who he is. And if he is stirring your heart this morning, And you want to come forward and take a step from death into life. To take a step from darkness into the freedom and truth and reality of who he is. To be born again. To know that his blood has washed you clean, that he has saved you. That there's an assurance of eternal life because the grave did not hold him. But he raised up from the grave then there's an opportunity for you this morning. All you need to do is come forward. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and you make confession with your mouth, then you will be saved. It would be my joy to lead you in that prayer this morning, the beginning of a new and fresh journey, to pray that not only your sins would be washed away, but that he'd fill you with his spirit. And that you would know the joy and the peace unspeakable that the word promises. But I also just I have this, this sense this morning, and we were praying about it in the prayer meeting, that now Jesus is the one. Not only does he says does he proclaim to be the truth, but he says, if you abide in my words, 
the truth will set you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I'm just praying for freedom this morning. And if you know that there is there's any area of your life where you need freedom, where there's lies, there's deceptions, there's things that are, are keeping you bound, we're going to get the prayer team to just allow the truth of who He is, not just a principle, but the person of Jesus, to do what He said in His ministry. This is what I've come to do. And He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's come to set captives free. And so this morning is a morning of freedom. So Lord, I just want to pray for each of us here. Father, we've heard Your Word proclaimed. And Lord, I, I pray that not my words, but Your words and Your truth would resonate in our hearts. That we would be a people, Lord, who think, who don't just believe everything that we hear, who live superficially, Lord, but we would wrestle, we'd test, we'd examine. Lord, that we'd be a people whose eyes are ever upon you. Jesus, it's all about you. And wherever we get off track, we trust you as our good shepherd, that you would recalibrate our hearts. And I pray, Lord, as I have already many times this year, that there would be a great release of boldness and courage to stand against an ever-increasing tide. Not just, this is not just people's opinions, Lord, but this is the deception of the enemy. And we want to stand with the authority of Jesus Christ and say, we're not having any of that rubbish. We're here to proclaim the truth. We're here, here to, to see Jesus set people free, bring them into life. Thank you that you've called each and every one of us here to be bearers of your truth. It's power in the name of Jesus. I pray these things in your name.